I hope you brought a Bible with you this morning. If you did, I'm going to invite you to turn to the Gospel of Luke, the first chapter. As we begin our journey toward Christmas, I love Christmas. I love Christmas music, and I love listening to it, hearing the words, listening to the messages, sometimes wondering what went into, what was the thought process behind a particular song. This morning, I, I, I'm just going to tell you, I, I love the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It's one of those beautiful, haunting Christmas carols. And I found myself thinking about it, wondering about it, as I was thinking about everything that we read and know about Christmas. Found myself back mentally in Nazareth. You know, Nazareth was an insignificant little village in Galilee. In fact, and do your research, you'll find that Nazareth was not even mentioned in the Old Testament. It never, never rose to any amount of prominence until it was identified as the hometown of Mary and Joseph, the place where Jesus spent his early years. If you look at the map or take a journey, you'll find Nazareth is in Lower Galilee, about halfway between the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean. Today it's a large city. Back then it was a village with one well, one spring, that provided all of the fresh water for the community. Today that well is called Mary's Well. and You can imagine what it would have been like as the ladies came to gather there to get water for the day and carry it to their homes. The Church of the Annunciation stands today over the location the tradition says where Mary and Joseph lived. Nazareth today is a bustling city. But when Jesus came to earth, Nazareth was a small, impoverished village. The Jewish population that lived there lived basically in poverty. They did have a synagogue there, a, a local church, if you want to call it that where they gathered and they read Scripture, they studied the Torah and the prophets, they cherished the promises of a coming Messiah. I have no doubt in my mind that Mary had probably, through her growing up years, heard the men reading inside the synagogue as she sat with the other women, children. She heard those promises. She heard the words of the prophet. She must have thought to herself, God is going to find some young noblewoman, probably in the palace of Jerusalem, and she will be that virgin. But who cares? The important thing is that Messiah comes, and that he comes quickly. It was a difficult time these people were living in. They needed to be released from the Romans. And then everything changed. And I want us to read about how it changed together this morning. So if you've got your Bible and you're open to Luke chapter 1, I encourage you, find verse 26. And once you've found that, if you can, will, I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we read together from God's holy and inspired word, the record of what happened. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, 
to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning I I thank you for your word, and I just pray that you you would anoint your word, that it would speak to our hearts. That would take root in our lives. That this morning as we spend these moments together, we might be drawn to wonder over the miracle of what you have done. Father, teach us your truth. Call us deeper into relationship with you and challenge us to walk with you each day. Father, have your way in each of our lives. For we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. It's amazing to me because the angel came and made this announcement to Mary. Mary speaks to the angel and she says, "How, How can this possibly be since I am a virgin? Thus proclaiming the fulfillment of what Isaiah the prophet had written in Isaiah 7, 14, a virgin shall be with child. Isaiah had said in that verse, his name will be called Emmanuel. God with us. During those dark, hard years between the time of Isaiah's proclamation until the time of the angel's arrival and, and, and the coming of the Christ child, don't you know that those people living in that darkness, living in those hard, difficult days of oppression and struggle, had to think in their minds occasionally, Come, Emmanuel. Oh, God, be with us. Emmanuel. God with us. Each of those words is significant. And this morning, I I want us to just focus on those three words that define the name Emmanuel. God with us. This is a pretty simple sermon. Because you see, it starts first with God. God with us. This is God, the creator God, the God who back in Genesis chapter 1 had said, let us make man in our own image, in our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, 
He created them. You know, I, I read that and I wonder, why did God make man? I, can I tell you something? It wasn't just a whim. It was God's plan. It was God's intention. It wasn't just because he was bored with his angelic creation or he needed a new toy in his toy box. It, it was nothing like that. No, it, it was simply a matter that God desired someone with whom he could have a different type of relationship. God desired someone that he could have a love relationship with. And so he took great pains in preparing for and creating his new creation. He made the earth. He brought light and, and, and order out of darkness and chaos. He created a garden of indescribable beauty so that when he made Adam, he could place Adam in that beautiful garden paradise and make Adam complete by taking a rib and making for him a woman named Eve. And he made Adam and Eve different from anything else in his creation. There's not anything in all of creation that compares to mankind. I mean, think about it. This really and truly must be the greatest mystery in all of creation, that he made man with moral freedom. No other creature was given such freedom. No animal, no angel, nothing else in existence has the freedom that man has been given. A freedom of will. A freedom of will that allows us to know and communicate with God at a deeper level than anything else in all of creation. But inside of that great mystery is an even greater nugget of mystery. That God would create man and woman and not just give them freedom, but give them a free will. So that they could choose to love and obey him. Or they could choose to reject him. And go their own way. Why would God do such a thing? Because he wanted to be loved by his creation. And so he gave man the ability to make such a choice. And in doing so, God set in motion his becoming the God of many names. At the beginning of Scripture, he is Elohim, the great creator. But man sinned and was cast from the garden, and God put into motion his plan of redemption. Everything began to move toward the coming of Messiah. And when he came seeking sinful people, he becomes Yahweh, the God who longs to establish a covenant relationship with his people. And that name sustains all the way through until the arrival of Jesus when he becomes Emmanuel, God with us in our situation. God. That's where everything begins, folks. Don't ever forget that. If you're talking about creation in Genesis, it begins with God. If you're talking about your celebration of Christmas this month, it begins with God. If you're talking about the salvation that you experience or that I experience, it begins with God. All of it begins with God. Everything begins with God. And so does this phrase, God with us. 
But let's move to the second word. Most people don't pay much attention to this word. But I want you to notice it with me. God. With us. Not over us. Not beneath us. With us. I want you to think about this preposition with me. <laughs> Most folks say, this what? How many of y'all remember diagramming sentences? Yeah. You poor, poor children. <laughs> Someday you will have a professor in college who probably will torment you by teaching you what your elders knew by the time they got out of the sixth grade. How to diagram a sentence. A preposition always connects a noun or a pronoun with another element of the sentence structure. If it's connected to a phrase, we call it a prepositional phrase. But here it is the connector between God and man. God with us. Now I want you to think about the word with. I know most people say, well, I don't really think about words like with. That's not much of a word to me. But if you were to look up the word with, here are the types of things you would read. Alongside of, near to, in the company of, among, with as an associate or companion, in support of, on the side of. Say, so what's the big deal about that? We need the word with to expand our understanding of Emmanuel. God with us. What that means is that God is alongside of his people. You see, one of the names for the Holy Spirit is paraclete. Now, some of you are saying, who cares? You should care. Because the word paraclete means one who is called alongside another. When Jesus left, he said, I'm going to send you a comforter. I'm going to send you a teacher. I'm going to send one who will walk alongside of you and he will give you understanding. He will guide you. He will lead you. He will teach you. You see, what he was saying is God, as Holy Spirit, will be alongside you. He is our paraclete. That's not a bird in a cage, by the way. That's the Holy Spirit of God who accompanies us every day on our journey. He walks alongside of us. As Jesus was going away, he said, I will send the Comforter to be alongside you, never leaving you, never forsaking you. I want you to remember this. God is near to his people. Our world is not as difficult nor as dark as was the world that Jesus arrived in. But it still is difficult. It still is a dark place. And it is a challenging time for those who want to follow God and to serve God and to honor God. We certainly are at war with the world in which we live. And that war world is at war with us. But we are not alone, my friends. God is with us. He has come alongside us. He is so near to us that he knows what we think. He knows how we think. He knows when we hurt. He, he knows when we experience joy or grief or sorrow or gladness. He knows us completely. He knows what's happening moment by moment. 
He knows which ones of you in this room right now are fully in tune with what's being said to you. And which ones of you have your minds wandering off somewhere else, thinking about other things. He knows. He is Emmanuel. God with us, near to us. What that means is when Jesus arrived, he is God in the company of his people. That's always been God's desire. When he made Adam and Eve, he placed them in the garden. And and the book of Genesis tells us that he came in the cool of the day. It, It was a daily tradition or regularity with him. He would come into that place. And while he was there, he would visit with that man and that woman. They became the center point of what God was about. He was in their company. And can I tell you something this morning? I want you to listen to me. He longs to be in your company today. He wants to be beside you. He wants to draw near you. He wants to do life with you today, if you would allow it. And that leads me to the third word. It's a little word, two letters. There aren't any big words in this, are there? God with us, three, four, two. God with us. Us. I mean, think about that. Us. There are some things I have a hard time imagining. I have a hard time getting my brain around them. They just don't make sense to me. I I see God. I can envision God. I can imagine God in heaven. I can imagine God in glory, seated upon a throne. I can imagine God as Isaiah saw him with the celestial beings flying around and singing his praises. I can imagine God as that great glowing light. I can imagine God in all of his glory and splendor, being honored above all and everything. But with us, I cannot speak for you, but I can speak for myself. I have inherited the worst of Adam. His inflated, distorted ego, his sense of importance and pride, his willingness to think that he knows better how to do life than his creator, I'm, I'm like Adam. I'm flawed. I'm sinful. I make more than my mistakes, and I sometimes choose to directly disobey my father. I read his commands. I read his precepts. I, I work to memorize his word. I want to hide his word in my heart so that I won't sin against him, but I do. And sometimes it's because I deliberately choose to disobey my father. By the way, you know what? There was one thing in my household when my kids were growing up that was a guaranteed spanking. Only one. Now, there were other things that might cause some problems, but if you chose to deliberately disobey People say, well, you're awful. 
You're hard. You spanked your children. I didn't abuse my children. I spanked them. I corrected them. I wanted them to learn something. Direct disobedience leads to trouble. Man, how different would our world be if people learned that lesson as children and could apply that lesson as adults? Adam chose to directly disobey. I'm Adam. My children are Adam. Now, my grandchildren are perfect. But my children are, are, are like me. They're like Adam. You know what I'm saying, folks. It's who we are. Why would God want to be with me, with us? That's something I think people have always wondered about. David, David wondered about it. Have you ever really paid attention? I mean, I don't think David was just gazing at the stars and that was, he just saw beautiful stars and said, I'm going to talk about the stars. I'm going to write a psalm about the stars. I, I don't think that was it. I think David was looking at the stars, but he was thinking about himself in relationship to those stars. And he was thinking about the God who put those stars there and who had put him on this earth. And he said, when I consider the heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you put in place, what is man that you're mindful of him? And the Son of Man, that, that you would care for him. It's kind of like David saying, God, what were you thinking? Look at me. I mean, God with the angels, that makes sense. God with man, not so much. Human logic just can't fathom that, can't grasp the possibility of a relationship between a perfect, all-righteous, holy God and sinful human beings. But we know. We know because God gave us a record. We know that God continued to love man, even in his sinfulness. He continued to seek after man, even when man was running away from him. I could tell you this morning, I don't know why God continues to love us. I mean, if God were human, we would have all been destroyed by now. But he's not. He's God. And he continues to love and to pursue, even as sinful and as disobedient as we are. But we are his children. And he has promised to remain with us even to the very end of the age. So, today, in the days to come, I want you to think when you hear this word or see it on a Christmas card or, or in a poem or on a TV screen or whatever, wherever you may hear it or see it, this word, Emmanuel. Don't just think about Emmanuel. Think about what it means. God with us. Luke chapter 1 is kind of the beginning of the story of the coming of Jesus. But before I close and let you go, I want to take you to the back of the story. I want to tell you about what happened in Luke chapter 24. And some of you, I'm confident, will remember as soon as I begin to tell you 
But in Luke chapter 24, there's a record of a man by the name of Cleopas and his friend. And they were on their way back home to a little village called Emmaus. They were followers of Jesus, and they had been in Jerusalem during the Passover celebration when Jesus was arrested, tried, convicted, crucified. They were on their way home on the afternoon of the third day after Jesus' death. They didn't know about an empty tomb. They didn't know about an appearance of Jesus in the garden to some women. They, they didn't know that Jesus had appeared to a group of his followers inside of a room that was locked and closed so that no one could get in or out. They didn't know any of that. They were traveling home, and they were sad and defeated and didn't see any future. They had, they had vested, invested their lives in the hope that Jesus was, in fact, Messiah. And that the good news that he preached and taught was the gospel that mankind had been waiting for. They had believed that with all of their hearts. And then they had watched him be brutally crucified by Roman soldiers. As they were walking along, a stranger came up beside them. Questioned them about their grief, their sorrow, their heaviness of heart. And they explained to him what had just happened in Jerusalem in the past days. And he began to teach them from the Old Testament prophets about Messiah who would come, who would be a suffering servant, who would be the sacrifice for man's sin. They, they visited all the way back to him. You know how it is when people, when you have somebody to talk to, it makes the journey go quicker, doesn't it? They got back to Emmaus. The day was almost over, so they invited him in to spend the night with them. And they sat down to share their evening meal. And he took the bread, this stranger, and he blessed it and broke it and gave it to him. And in that moment, their eyes were opened. And they knew, this is Jesus. I don't know if it was the blessing. I don't know if it was his voice. I don't know if as he served them, they saw the, the nail prints. I, I don't know what it was. All I know is that all of a sudden, they knew Jesus is here. And then just like God does, sometimes he just does things that blow our minds. He was there, and then he was gone. He didn't get up and walk out. He was gone. Now, that'll do something really strange to your dinner party. If somebody sitting at the table just disappears. But they knew and Luke tells us in Luke 24, 32, that they said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? You know what they discovered that day? It's true. God is with us. In our sorrow, in our struggle, in our hurt, God is with us. They turned around and made the journey back to Jerusalem because they wanted everyone else to know God is with us. This truly is Emmanuel. 
And so when you hear or see that word, Emmanuel, I want you to understand, God is with us. We are not alone. We have cause to celebrate. We ought to rejoice in Christmas and the advent of Christ every year. In fact, every day of every year because God is with us. And if you meet him, if you know him, he'll make your heart burn within you just like Cleopas and his friends said. I want to tell you something. The reason I'm excited is because my heart is on fire. I have met him. I know him. I've experienced him. He is my Emmanuel. He is God with me. No matter what I'm going through, no matter how difficult, how dark, or how great a struggle, God is with me. If you know him, your heart is on fire, or it ought to be, because God is with you. It doesn't matter what you're going through. He's there. If you don't know him, I want you to know, my friend, he is Emmanuel. God with us. And today, he wants to be with you. But he's waiting for you to open your heart and welcome him in. He'll never force himself on you. He'll never say, I made you so you have to believe in me. No, he's going to give you the same freedom he gave to Adam and Eve. You can believe and receive his free gift. By coming to him in faith and repentance. Or you can reject his claims and go on your way. But I I promise you. One day. One day. Every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess. That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You can do it now and receive him as Savior or you can do it then and acknowledge what you missed. Do you know Emmanuel? You can. Call on him today. Let's bow our heads together. In just a moment, we're going to stand together and sing a song of of invitation, of surrender. It's not right to tell you this and tell you that he has come for us and come to us and not give you an opportunity to respond to him. This morning, I want you to know that if you belong to him, you ought to be rejoicing in that. If that relationship has grown stale or cold, if you've wandered away, I want to invite you, my friend... Renew that relationship. Let him restore that and set that fire in your heart once again. If you're here and you don't know him, you've heard the stories. You've been there. You've listened. But it's never changed your life. I invite you this morning. Bow before the Christ child. Bow before Emmanuel and invite him into your life to be with you. He'll make you a new creation. He'll give you a new life. But he's going to wait till you invite him. Would you do it today? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that 
in your wisdom. You spoke through the prophets hundreds of years before Christ arrived to tell us who he would be, where he would be, and what he would be. Father, you sent great light into the world, and yet still many live in darkness. I pray for us today in this room that if there's one who's still trapped in the darkness, that today they would cry out to you in repentance and faith, believing that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is, in fact, Emmanuel, God with us that that knowledge would transform their hearts and their lives today and forever. Father, for some of us, it seems as if it's grown stale, it's grown cold, it's grown old and outdated. Rekindle the flame, Father. And let this truth blaze in our hearts and burn in our lives that Jesus is the Christ, that He is the Son of God, that He is Lord of all, that He is our Savior. And Father, may we find the courage, may we be emboldened by Your Spirit to share that wherever we go. And now, Father, on this first day of December, as we embark on this journey of anticipation of the arrival As we celebrate it together, may our hearts be focused on this glorious truth. Emmanuel, God with us. Oh God, be with us today. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.